one of my most favorite time of year. I mean, I love all the Christmas season, counting both Advent and Christmas, but uh, I don't know. It's just the anticipation uh, in Advent uh, just means so much to me. I didn't grow up understanding that or knowing that. Everything was just all thrown together, but I am real grateful uh, that we have ways of counting down uh, the time and the focus on the coming of our Lord. And this Advent year, this is, there. This you can see the title on the screen, Christmas According to Isaiah. Uh, that's our Advent series for the season that we are in. Now, before we read our scripture reading for today, most of us think about Advent and Christmas uh, when we do, and if we think about them, whether we're kind of jumbling them all together or whether we're uh, looking at them strictly as Advent is the preparation and the, the run-up and the preparing part, and Christmas is the full-blown joy uh, of those two weeks, the 12 days of Christmas that sometimes are referred to. Whether you, whether you mix those together or not, we tend to think of Advent and Christmas in our minds, we go right to the New Testament. And of course, most especially the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, because that's where we find the Christmas stories. When we go out caroling in a few uh, weeks, we'll be reading and sharing with the folks that we go to their homes uh, Christmas stories from Matthew and from Luke. And so that's very common and very understandable. But for this year's Advent message, I want us to consider this idea of Christmas according to Isaiah. Now, that ought, to, that ought to right now kind of be messing with your categories a little bit. Wait a minute, Christmas? Christmas doesn't come until the New Testament. And when Jesus comes, yes, but Christmas has long been foretold. And so we're going to be looking and and plucking out of Isaiah in particular four different messages. And today's message is going to start. And through the use of word-shaped windows, we're going to look at Isaiah's most stunning prophecies that come telling us about the long-promised Messiah, in order to help us see Jesus together better. So that's what we're going to be doing, but we're going to be looking back at what was promised and is fulfilled in our Christmas experience. So our scripture reading this morning comes from Isaiah and chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. Now again, remind you, this is Not the word of men, this is the word of the true and the living God. Hear it with careful appreciation and attention. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. And that she has received from the Lord's hand double 
for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Let us pray. Father, once again we ask for your light given to us by the Holy Spirit. Lord, that we would be able to see and perceive and understand your promises, your great and exceeding and precious promises. Father, we ask that today we might more deeply delve into the way through the wilderness long ago and even now for us in our time. Father, we ask these things and pray for this help in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Has Christmas ever seemed a little bit scary to you? Think about it. Think about the idea of the lyrics of Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. And he's going to find out who's naughty or nice. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Huh? That's not exactly cheerful, is it? That's not something like, wow, can't wait. Got this presence that can see everything and know everything. You see, that's actually, though, that condition of being not exactly exhilarated and happy but being a little bit scared, or a lot scared, that's exactly what was happening to the people of God in the Old Testament in the time of the prophet Isaiah. They were the chosen people of God, and yet they had blown it so many times, time upon time without number. They had rebelled they were sure, finally, where they were at this time when they were ultimately in captivity. They were sure that they were on God's naughty list, and they were. 
And that would not, they knew that they would not be getting off anytime soon. Listen, listen to this. This is Isaiah, not 40, which our text is from, but this is the first part of Isaiah. So in other words, the first part, 40 chapters in, is our text today. But this is the beginning. And this is what had happened because of their sin. This is how God looked at them and how the prophets told them this is how God sees them, why they were in a heap of trouble. Isaiah verses 1 through 4 and then verse 13. The vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Israel in the days of Uzziah and Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And here's the voice of Isaiah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children, have I reared? This is talking about his people. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know my people, and they do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children of de- who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel, and they are utterly estranged. They're in a heap of trouble. And then verse 13, God says, Enough! Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. Your new moons, your Sabbaths, and the calling of convocations, I can't endure your iniquity and solemn assembly. All this stuff that you're supposed to be doing for me, I've had it. You have rebelled. You have played the harlot. There is nothing but judgment coming for you. That was the picture. Like so many people before and since, this community of people, Israel of that time, steeped in its religious traditions, wouldn't come clean about their sins. They kept making excuses. They had ways to say, oh, we're the chosen people. God's not going to do anything to us. We're not going to be judged. That's for the heathen. That's for the bad people. We're the good guys. We wear the white hats. But in time, the chickens came home to roost. And they were, they found themselves dragged off into captivity, the vast majority of them, into Babylon, what is called the Babylonian captivity of the church. But Isaiah, here's the beautiful thing. With all that bad news, Isaiah didn't just write about the bad news, about the things then. He also wrote about things to come. Things that were yet not there, but were coming. He was given a vision 
from God. A vision of a new day to dawn and a message of hope. Remember, this is the message of, of Advent. This is the first element is hope. It's a message of hope for a captive and defeated people who were bruised and broken by the fall. Before, the people had believed they could do anything they wanted to and God would just let it go because, after all, they were the chosen. Now, in a time when people were without confidence, they knew they deserved what they got. The prophet comes again, this time not threatening judgment, but speaking a word that is different, a different message. This is, again, that age-old reality that it seems like sinful people in the presence of a holy God have to deal with. We have to sometimes be afflicted before they can be comforted. And that had to happen here. In the beginning, the prophet Isaiah had to do the opposite, comfort the afflicted. I mean, excuse me, afflict the, afflict the comforted. <laughs> afflict the comforted. That's what he had to do. Those who were comfortable, thinking everything was fine, he had to afflict. He had to wake them up. He had to show them their sin and their need of judgment. And yet now God is saying, I'm promising there is, I'm not through with you. I have judged you, but I am not through. I will bring you back. And so we're going to take the rest of our time this morning just looking at two things. God's way through the wilderness then, back then, in the time of Isaiah before the captivity, and now God's way through the wilderness in our time. What did God do to get his people out of jeopardy and out of captivity then what does he do now for us for you and me so let's think through that there's a problem when it comes to the way through the wilderness then there was a huge insurmountable chasm between God's people and between him and it was deep and it was wide they were slaves, as I said, in Babylon. The temple that they loved was in ruins. The glory of God had departed. It was an Echabod. It was gone. The glory of the God was no longer there in the temple, and there was no temple. But in this circumstance, in this dire situation, God sends a message of comfort and consolation for his people. The message through Isaiah to his people in Babylon was that the road home is not so hard, not so long, and not so impossible as they thought. 
Now, humanly speaking, it is. There's no way of getting out of jail in Babylon, humanly speaking. But God says, I'm sending and I'm going to make a way through the wilderness. This morning in Sunday school, Rick uh, put up a thing uh, about his study in Hebrews. Highly committed to you. But he put up and he said, the eyes have it. <laughs> and then it's all those things that God will do. I will, I will, I will do this. I will do that. And that's, again, here. This is what the prophet is telling God is going to do this. You're not going to find a way. God is going to find a way through the impassable wilderness. Now, in the wilderness, God says, I'm going to turn this incredible, look at the picture uh, that's on the screen, a way through the wilderness, this, this barren, des desolate place through that dangerous wild beast all kind of things God's saying I'm going to basically put a highway right through the middle of that I'm going but it's not the physical thing that you're looking at it's spiritually God is going to make a way God is coming and bulldozing and backfilling his way to his people again that's what he's doing such road building doesn't amaze us now. We can watch people. Matter of fact, that our, our road, uh, Rain Tree, we just had it uh, paved. <laughs> My son, son was uh, enjoying it with his skateboard. Uh, and, uh, you know, so, but big deal. You know, roads paved, big roads paved. That's, that's, we know how to do that. But this is not that kind. This is not like that at all. That doesn't amaze us now. But what God was going to do was inconceivable. He was going to find a way to bring his people back. And though the exile was their doing, they, they are the ones that put themselves in this mess. The way to return was through the work of God, not through your works or mine or theirs then. They put themselves, it was their doing, but the way out is God's and God's alone. Other arms are too short. Yours, mine, that's just a way of saying you, you haven't got a prayer to do this. But God's arm is not short. God's arms can reach wherever. Listen to this beautiful passage. This is again from a, another part of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 63 verses 1 and 2 and verse 5. Listen how God describes himself coming to his people. Who is this who comes from Edom in crimson garment from Basra? He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. And then it's in quotes, it is I speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. That's God talking. I'm the one who's doing this. I'm the one speaking in righteousness, and I am the one who is mighty to save. 
I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation. God is saying, I did it. It's that eyes have got it again, completely and utterly. You see, as a result, the impossible happened. The people got out of jail. They got turned loose by a wicked people. God opened the heart and mind of the king. The people returned to their land, and they eventually rebuilt their new temple using road crews like Ezra and Nehemiah and even pagan rulers like Cyrus. Cyrus, dreaded Persian king, yet he basically is the one that God says, you're going to let my people go. And he's used to do that. Now, that's how God got his people out of terrible circumstances then. Even though they had brought it on themselves, they were utterly ripe for judgment, and they were judged, and yet God did not forget his covenant promises. And he brought them back and restored them in order to set up what would one day come. So let's think secondly here about God's way through the wilderness now. So, that's it. We're done. Prophecy's been fulfilled. We've all learned some interesting history. Ready to go home. No. <laughs> Not yet. No, no, wrong. It's more than that, much more. We're not just looking back. We're not just saying, wasn't that a wonderful story that God saved and delivered his undeserving people back then, long, long time ago? No, God's still in the bulldozing and road paving business, spiritually speaking. The problem of ancient Israel faced was just the tip of the iceberg. Because it wasn't just about things physical, which can be hard and difficult enough to deal with. But here, now, the problem, each of us face is far more formidable than a wilderness or the exile of the church, the old covenant people of God. Remember again those sentiments about uh, Santa Claus, St. Nick? Remember, Santa Claus is coming to town. Well, they're true, but the problem is God has a naughty list. And the worst part is we're on it. <laughs>
I'm on it. You're on it. You see, God knows the depths of our valleys, the mountains of our sin, and the crookedness of our hearts. But as he did before, as he did before, God says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to clear away, and I'm going to come to you instead of expecting you to come to me. Do you not understand that that is fundamentally the difference between all the religions of the world and Christianity? Because all those other religions are in some way trying to get to the ultimate or get to God or whatever, find faith. Somehow they're trying to get there to him through their own accomplishments or efforts. God is saying, as I did then, I am still the God who comes despite your sinfulness. When you repent and turn to me, I will come to you. Remember the prodigal story of the prodigal son in Luke 15? What did the father do? Sit there and wait and say, he better have a good... No, he came running to him. He ran to his son. You see, here the picture now, God, despite all of the mountain of, and of sin that we have committed, yet he comes to us. He comes to us. Listen to Galatians chapter 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. The full rights of sons, sons and daughters. What a picture. It's not us trying to get to him. He's coming to us in his son. And he's taken that list, that naughty list that's yours and mine, and he's nailed it to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, we sang. And ransom captive Israel. God has done that by coming to us in his son. But there's more to unwrap from this prophetic Christmas present, if you want to call it that. When we see the additional light that the New Testament sheds on this ancient prophecy in Isaiah 40, we realize it's God himself acting on behalf of his people. Again, the eyes have it. It's what God says he will do. I will do this. And when we see the, this additional life, we realize God was acting on behalf of his people. John the baptizer, remember? 
in, he's in this passage. He's in this passage. In verse, John, John the baptizer's message of repentance, I'm sorry, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That is connected to the Isaiah. What John was doing in Jesus' time preparing the way for him is quoting, pulling from that passage in our text this morning. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made lone. Lo, the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth the Lord has spoken. So what's the connection? What's the connection? It's repentance. That's what John was coming to do. It's look, I know you can't get to me, God was saying. I know you, no way. This morning again, there was a conversation in Sunday school about why all that time? Why didn't God just Make it all good from the beginning. Why did there have to be so long a period of time to learn and so many failures? But ultimately, it was to reveal his great mercy and grace and to show us that we can't do it. He alone can do it for us. And in order for that to happen, the part we play is we have to repent. We have to turn around. And uh, do an about face and turn the other way. Turn and face God. See, we like to run from God in so many ways. We run from him and run away. But God, again, as in the, the prodigal son, he's running to us. We're trying to run away from him. And repentance simply is to turn around. And face him, not as our judge, but as our advocate through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, God comes into our neatly ordered lives with his road crew and dynamite. It's the dynamites, the mountains that we have built to protect ourselves and raises us raises up the low spots that we've neglected in order to make a way for his son to receive us. God sends in his son a way for us to be received back into God's favor because of what Jesus has done. He's leveled all those barriers and taken them away in order that it all will be done by Jesus and by Jesus only. That's the good news. That's the hope of 
this Advent season for us. It was the hope for then. It is the hope now. And it's only in Christ. You see, the gospel makes a way through the wilderness. Bringing its tidings of comfort and joy. Another great carol that we love. God rest ye merry gentlemen. God rest ye merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. This is the work of Christmas that reveals his glory. Not us. Him. Not through us or because of us, but because of him and what he's done in his son gives us hope no matter what comes our way now or in the future. He wanted me to remind you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you made the way. You leveled the plain, the mountains. You filled in the holes, the pitfalls, the ravines of our lives. Father, and you've 